0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of Left Inside, a weekly podcast offering a critical look at news, politics and culture from a left perspective. Today I am joined by our Left Inside regular, Dermot Flood. Hello everyone.
1: Jesse's robbed host and duties off me this week.
0: <laughs> I've usurped the power. Chance double. <laughs> um, and today we have a very special guest. Um, we are moving slightly away from the heavy political aspects and more so to the culture side of the podcast today we are going to be discussing all things Irish music. The scene itself, the effect Covid is having on it, and the political themes that run throughout. And to do that, we are joined by a very special guest, Irish music expert and writer, Colin Gannon. You're very welcome on to the show, Colin. Hello, thanks guys. Yeah, so to kick us off, maybe tell us a bit about uh, what you do exactly, what's your background, how did you start writing about uh, music and Irish music and... Yeah, when did you come about doing it and everything like that? Give us a bit of an intro, maybe.
2: Yeah, no problem. So, But there isn't too much to tell, really. Um, I'm originally from Verscommon. I grew up in a fairly small townland there. Um, Completed an undergrad in journalism in DCU, finished that in 2018, and shortly thereafter moved to London. Uh, When it comes to the writing aspect, I've always just been a music nerd, especially with regards to rap and electronic music. Uh, and it just seemed most natural for me to kind of pursue that in my degree. At the latter stages of my degree, I was writing about, probably more American and British stuff from from reading blogs uh, from from those places. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was mm-hmm. probably it was actually when I moved across to London, um, after years of being fairly out of touch with the kind of Irish scene, that I began really noticing the kind of endless quantity that was being released uh, almost every week. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was younger, I got always had this impression that the quality and the consistency of the quality in Irish music notwithstanding a f- few notable exceptions was lower than probably some other places but uh, I kind of it was probably just my own ignorance uh, and kind of people like Owen Murray and Brian Coney uh, who run the Ten Air blog uh, they were mm-hmm. always visibly supportive of all the strange and avant-garde yeah. elements of Irish music and that was definitely really galvanizing to me and when I moved across the pond Um, I definitely started unlearning some of that ignorance and essentially last year I think it was January I started like a monthly column collecting all of my my favourite music in Irish music and I really started noticing how much quality there was for such a small place Um, and I couldn't even pack in maybe I was struggling to get pick Mm. eight or nine songs and narrow it down yeah um, but yeah so uh, it's more of a recent thing when it comes to my writing of it um and uh, it's it's always kind of run parallel with the politics aspect as well which i'm obviously really interested in and th- i would say the scene in the past couple of years has definitely come on leaps and bounds uh, in, in a lot of ways
1: yeah it's funny when me and jesse were speaking about this the other day i mentioned that like uh, only in i'd say the last year or two i've come back to irish music because growing up similarly. I would have always dismissed it as like a bit naff or thought there was nothing happening in the scene. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the songs that would have like hit, hit the mainstream were kind of jokey. Yeah. So that like lent into me just dismissing it outright. But coming back in the last like year or two, you realize how like dynamic and kind of vibrant it is at the moment. There's definitely no lack of uh, talent out there mm-hmm. you kind of touched on that uh, change like when was it that you noticed it and what would you put it down to probably
2: the last two years but when, when i really started kind of following it more intently um and it's it's nearly impossible to comprehensively explain and pinpoint precise reasons why yeah and um, the scene like it seems more varied and and qualitatively probably better mm-hmm Uh, But I think there's definitely arguments to be made that it's some combination of the internet, Mm -hmm. immigration, wider societal changes in Ireland, I guess, like a social liberalisation. And then probably as well as that, just the the kind of nature of the Irish music industry or kind of lack thereof. uh, It's not very structured or institutionalised in Mm -hmm. Ireland. And I think all of those kind of intermingle and uh, kind of produce uh, something interesting on top of what is already a very rich and kind of storied musical history. There's probably... Other aspects um, that, that I think have impacted it, but um, they're kind of broad areas where I, I definitely think um, it's had like a, a really concrete effect. And there's probably maybe something to be said about the political aspect uh, in terms of like a post-Celtic Tiger, post-financial crash boom yeah. uh, in, in music. Um, but I think those are kind of the, the, the broad areas I find it.
0: I would definitely agree that's why I love Irish music so much because I like it is so political and it is so kind of like just telling it how it is even if that is super bleak sometimes you know um and I think like it's extremely relatable like you're saying like post-Celtic Tiger like people like Irish like 20s or whatever even like people in their 30s never going up in the time they've not known austerity you know straight away leaving school you you have to gotta go to college to do anything and then even if you do get a degree, still no fucking job opportunities, you know, and the rents fucking going up and everything like that. And like, just to hear that, like, being reflected back to you in the music is why I love it, you know, like, say, like, Kojak, you know, like, Delhi Daydreams, you know what I mean? It's it just like encapsulates that kind of struggle of being working class and, and like, the horrible aspects of it, but also like the kind of good cultural aspects of it as well, I think. Like, I think, um, I think maybe that's something that's like changed recently with Irish music that it's kind of like reclaiming a sort of positive aspect of working class identity and stuff like that. And kind of not making it cool necessarily, but do you know what I mean?
2: It's definitely something that's kind of emerging um, slowly, but surely. Um, uh, But just before we talk probably a little bit more about that aspect of it, I think it's also important to probably mention what I briefly touched upon and the kind of lack of like a record label ecosystem um, so obviously a lot of musicians are going to try and create music that will maybe assimilate them to like the English speaking music industry core in, in America or England. Um, but in Ireland, the opposite is true most of the time. I think artists aren't really inhibited by industry rules. Um, so and that kind of relates to the kind of working class identity aspect of it, where it is difficult in one way to to kinda of eke out an existence as a musician in Ireland, um, even in comparison to some other Western European countries or America. But it kind of feeds this kind of creativity and this definitely this like positive carelessness and carefreeness, um, which you could evident in the in the, the way music is actually released as well. It's quite like disjointed and there's not a lot of PR surrounding it. So um, and you mentioned you know, the working class identity aspect of it, which is definitely the case. Um, it's probably uh, something I've been thinking about, and this is just even just prior to, to, to kind of joining the call, with it was the comparison, I think, that you can draw between something like the rise of the like, Irish post-punk bands, uh, such as mm-hmm. Fontaine's DC, Murder Capital, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have listened to them or if you, if you like them. Yeah I,
0: yeah, I can love them. Yeah, <laughs> they're So
2: favorite, but... they're not they're not exactly my cup of tea, but I, I think there's like an interesting car- comparison to be made with their rise and the kind of um, rise of Irish drill music, which is by an Irish made by working class, mm-hmm. young black kids from Dublin, Athlone, Longford and some other areas. And uh, on the one hand, you have th- this kind of careful, slick, PR campaign, essentially, essentially, which you can see in the pages yeah. of enemy in some British publications where the bands are kind of imagined as some rebirth of rock and roll. And sometimes they're pitted as political spokespeople for the Dublin working class, the soul of the Dublin working class. And it actually reminded me of Leo Riker's infamous spin unit, um, whose responsibility was to kind of package old ideas and ideology as something, as something new. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to, to Irish Drill, which I've covered uh, a good bit, I think in spite of a lack of infrastructure and resources and uh, inaccessibility to PR, huge PR campaigns, which kind of reach into like American music and essentially the London scene. Um, and they're kind of drawn inspiration directly from London Drill, which is DIY, putting their own slightly derivative spin on it. To mix results, but they created their own ecosystem, and they got together a bunch of videographers, rappers, producers, created their own YouTube channels and networks, and then began releasing music themselves in this very like self-controlled, self-deterministic way. And I always think that's a interesting comparison to make with the kind of PR light campaign you get from those type of bands, and they've kind of, their lyrical content is quite explicitly political. Uh, and yeah. Irish drill, they're not necessarily going to be quoting marks or <laughs> uh, t- talking about uh, the the kind of everyday anxieties right, yeah. too much is a lot bombastic, <laughs> but um, it's it's I think it's 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 the existence of working class artists against the odds is a political act and a political moment in itself. And um, so I think that's t- to the kind of dichotomy that I think is really interesting in Irish music right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, one of the things that I love about the Irish music, scene, especially kind of the hip hop scene. It's just how, like, raw it is. And I think that comes from the fact that there is no, like, ecosystem or support net for a lot of artists out there. So they experience, like, firsthand, like, struggling to make it or just, like, getting by. And uh, and that contributes to their music. Like, I think one of my favorite quotes, like, uh, TPM were interviewed a while ago and they said that they're, they are asked like what's their music inspired by and they said that it was like the grimness of life yeah. and social welfare and just being like depressed and I think that comes through and how like sharp and witty all their things are when it, and that's replicated by so many Irish artists and me and Jesse the other day were saying like how in the UK or the US you might get like a mention of the same types of struggles but it's it comes through in like a, um, I think more of a superficial way because it's the music scene over there is so heavily commercialised that although a lot of these artists might have had a connection to the struggle at some point, that they've kind of hit it big, and and you don't really get that as much with Irish artists, I find, and you that's why you still get such like a gritty impression. So do you find like Irish artists to be a bit more genuine in this in this area? Because I know you've written about both the Irish music scene and elsewhere.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I think when when we're talking about a kind of political energy in Irish music, I think it's also important to, to remember the kind of illustrious history of uh, political music in Ireland, and mm. there's probably a full book to be written about politics infusing music in contemporary Irish history, uh, and even just the rich history in and of itself of the, the rebel music, um, mm. the, the, the rousing songs of like rebel music and stuff. And, and one interesting example I actually wanted to write about before um, was a group called Marxman, uh, who were essentially like an Irish slash Jamaican hip hop group. There was like an Irish guy, and I think there was a Jamaican guy, maybe uh. two Irish guys, and they were formed in like I think there was the late eighties, and their lyrical lyrics were were hilarious, like combination of like socialism, anti colonialism, and Irish republicanism, and it was like this weird mix of like James Connolly and Public Enemy. Um, but but Very I, I, I uh, that
0: sounds amazing. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> and I
2: think they eventually ended up like performing on top of the pops and, and everything. Uh, so they kind of had like a actually like a peak of like relative popularity in the UK anyway. And even the further back in time, mm. there's like Luke Kelly, uh, like mm. avowed yeah. socialists who I think performed. Uh, for election rally for Micah Reardon, who was the former General Secretary of the Communist Party of Ireland, I think in like the 60s, and obviously Christy Moore as well, who, who uh, he literally titled an album H-Block in support of the H-Block IRA protesters in, in 1978. But uh, when it comes to kind of the politics mm-hmm. and the struggles, modern struggles, there's definitely uh, like you said, the fact that a lot of these artists, 90% of these artists are unsigned and independent and of gives them the space to, to essentially say what they want yeah. to say without ever having to worry about um, being punished economically or not getting a certain negative publicity. I guess um, and the, the, you definitely kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the the kind of the recent struggles with um, austerity and definitely like mental health uh, when it comes to TPM. And I, I obviously when it comes to uh, pop superstars who are signed to major labels. Uh, and they're kind of pontificating from like private jets and mm, gated communities yeah. about the importance of voting or kind definitely, of yeah. shoehorning and social justice messaging. in. but when it's Irish artists, there's something very believable about it when they're talking with passion uh, and specificity uh, in either the music or on their social media channels uh, about certain issues. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a massive stark difference.
0: Definitely. And like, I think this is like, a positive thing and also a negative thing do you know what I mean like it's like it is cool that it is like so authentic and real and like you say it's not like this kind of like posery shit of like pretending whatever common people sort of thing you know um but on the other hand it's like it's not good that Irish artists aren't being paid enough do you know what I mean like it's, it's not good that they have to you know live on welfare or whatever it's like they should be getting paid for the talent that they're providing and stuff and like I think I think it's like a It's a real trope, like you know, Irish people kind of pride themselves on being, you know, the poets and the artists of the world, and like, um, you know, the kind of full of culture and that's all. That's what we have to offer and stuff like that. But yes, at the same time, the Irish music industry, like, has just like lack of funding, like that you were saying, like the kind of like unsigned, which is good in a way, but also just like not great because like these people need to make a living as well, you know. Um, and I think like. This kind of sentiment of like Irish people being like full of culture, it's become more and more hollow just because like, yeah, there is just like defunding of independent artists and like money is being pumped into more commercial friendly sort of Irish and stuff like that. And kind of like things that profit big businesses and like the tourist industry and stuff like that. Um And this is something that you've written about a lot, Colin, about like Irish artists being like forced abroad and stuff like that. So they have to make their name somewhere else first before they can return to Ireland, you know, with a bit of money so they can do some gigs and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, maybe you can elaborate more on this kind of like process and maybe where do you think like the priority areas are for improvement here?
2: Yeah, so, well, there's a, there's like a multitude um, of reasons why people leave. But by and large, it is because there isn't really any um, opportunity to, to kind of grow um, like a fan base, really, in Ireland. Um, but when it comes to the, the economics of it as well and the, the kind of actually parlaying your talents into a career, um, and it, it probably applies to all areas of the arts, but it, I think the, the one of the more broad issues encompassing large sections of the most exciting musicians on the island is probably a refusal of both governments and traditional like tastemakers to legitimize certain types of music Mm -hmm. and so i remember one thing that i figured that blew me away was in 2018 uh, when the ireland's department of culture um, essentially, gave seventy-eight million euro in state funding to the national concert hall, yeah. and uh, against the backdrop of thousands and of, of artists emigrating yeah. across a short number of years, and small niche festivals shutting down because of a lack of funding, um, I, I just it just it kind of it's baffling to me. And th- there's obviously like a cultural backwardness. Mm-hmm dimension to it but it's probably more sensible to understand mm-hmm. that in like class terms mm-hmm. i think it, like those institutions cater almost exclusively to elites and fat pocketed tourists whereas small festivals who kill for yeah. funding are targeted at the precariat the young and kind of a nice mixture and mm-hmm. confluence of working class and middle class people who are just looking to to kind of have some fun uh, during the summer and one thing that sometimes gets brought up as yeah. well in, in, in terms of artist support systems is mm-hmm. state support. And I think for already established artists, that's important. But I think it kind of fundamentally misses the point about art and cultural production. For for already established artists, um, I think that it misses the point, state funding. Uh, obviously, artists can be nurtured, secure. In receiving grand aid in, in a capitalist state but i think the, the quest for artistic flourishing should on the left be part of like a broader argument for, for economic freedom for, for everybody and it, it reminds me of that like cliche that the cure for cancer is probably trapped in the mind of uh, some child who cannot afford education um mm-hmm. like if music were to be decommodified and demarketized and the wider kind of musically inclined working class and Mm-hmm. Uh, wider public were to have well-paying jobs with unpressurized lives like who knows what type of direction avant-garde direction in particular music might take again uh, and w- there's another irish music journalist dean van win um, who, who wrote actually a really excellent piece for jacobin earlier this year about the streaming economy and there was one like, mind-blowing statistic in it uh, as well uh, in regards to streaming that it, the recording industry association of america they had seen a 13% increase in revenues from uh, yeah. 2020 through to 2018. So uh, streaming is essentially uh, an absolute windfall for huge companies uh, who own like a multitude of smaller independent labels as well. Um, but all the money ends up obviously just filtering towards the, the bigger pop stars and the kind of corporate shareholders in these massive companies as well so in, in an irish context streaming is particularly meager and um, just simply because ireland is such a small country uh, and it, that kind of holds back a lot of people as well because you you're, you can barely make music from the live scene because there's a lack of space and uh, venues are shutting down and then kind of combined with that you can't make money from streaming. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way.
1: Yeah, and I think on that point of funding, we've seen recently um, a couple of protests. You have event organisers and artists kind of making their struggles clear. There was a protest on during the week. Um, and then Jesse mentioned to me that in a few of the counties, there's like a, a take back to night protest going on at the moment too, or, or like a campaign more so. Just to highlight like the loss of so many venues to, I, I think it's well noted especially in Dublin everything seems to be changed into a hotel in the last two or three years and that trend isn't stopping anytime soon there seems to be like just a killing of all the cultural aspects of the city and that has a real effect um, on the people living in there as it just becomes more focused on like businesses or working and or
0: another like. hotel that like no one needs you know? yeah exactly
1: well soon there won't be any houses so we'll all have to just yeah. book a room no but um I think on a less like bleak note we've all also seen like Irish artists recently, with the pandemic, kind of adapting to like innovative ways of connecting with their audiences through like live streaming gigs. I seen the Mary Wallopers were doing uh, things like that, but we still can't see the end of the restrictions or or the pandemic itself. So, like, how do you assess the changes that this has had on artists and the music scene in general, and how do you think it'll continue to affect uh, both of these things?
2: In the same way that COVID has exposed all of the kind of contradictions and. Um the fault lines at the heart of the, the kind of economic system. It's definitely brought to the fore how unsustainable the arts are for, for musicians. I, I'm not sure if like any research or anything has been done on this, but I'd probably, you could hazard a guess that probably over 90% of Irish musicians that you listen to and that you're a fan of rely on other sources of income to, to create their work. Um, and I think that's probably why you see a lot of like Irish bands and, and uh, singer-songwriters and producers kind of Retire early or like disappear into the horizon with no trace, and uh, I think the COVID nineteen crisis has definitely brought into sharp relief the fact that musicians and uh, musicians who perform live really rely on the live side of the business, and that kind of coupled with the woefully like insufficient paychecks from streaming um, it makes it an absolute nightmare for for people who actually want to create this music full time, and um, I think. But initially, when COVID restrictions were announced, the more detailed ones in late August, music venues weren't mentioned anywhere. But I, I do know in the most recent uh, level, kind of uh, stratified level system that they, that they announced that they, they, they actually did include live venues, which includes live music venues. And um, mm-hmm. but. It, it's kind of like an afterthought music and the arts is at the end of the day will always be an afterthought for, for uh, parties like Shin, parties like um, <laughs> Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Green Party. I almost said Sinn Féin. I said, almost sounded like a blue shirt. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a massive crisis. Um, and I think they're claiming that they're prioritizing the arts because it's probably most at risk of just kind of disappearing because of local venues. Local venues aren't profitable in and of themselves, uh, so it, they can easily be swooped up by developers and turned into, as we said, hotels or apart hotels or shoe boxes for for pe- for people to to rent. But um, yeah, I think the COVID nineteen crisis has made already existing issues. Uh, And kind of uh, brought them to to kind of to the edge of just complete annihilation, essentially.
0: Definitely. And I think like the point you're making about the type of music that like kind of this, you know, more so independent Irish music scene is making, you know, um, that it's not profitable. It's not in any way sort of marketable to people. Um, It really reminds me of when I I did like a few modules on film studies in college and like um, the first wave of... Independent, like Irish filmmakers, like the likes of like Cahill Black and like Bob Quinn and like others, um, they all kind of like had to kind of come together out of necessity because the type of films they were making they weren't getting any funding whatsoever, you know, because like, they were basically they set out to make exact opposite to what Irish films had been made before. So you know the likes of like the Quiet Man or like um kind of more like nationalistic Irish films that have been like funded by the state all kind of portraying ireland in this like beautiful light how it's like the most idyllic land to live in and everyone's happy here and blah 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 blah. um and then this like first wave of filmmakers made they just wanted to contradict this because it wasn't their lived experience it wasn't what they had had um and they probably went like too far the other way as well you know like making it look super super bleak as well um but it was necessary at the time because nothing had been seen like that before you know um And they struggled massively with, like, lack of funding, lack of any sort of help, any sort of kind of, like, um, support from the government or from any sort of state funding media company or anything like that. And, like, I feel like it's, like, a lot of parallels with the Irish music scene at the moment. And the way that we learned about it in college was that, like, all of these filmmakers, they, like, helped each other out massively and, like... They worked on each other's films. They like wrote scripts for each other. They would like give their time for free to the others for their films, even though they were actually their own direct competition. You know, they were the ones all fighting for the cinema, like whatever. But they still helped each other because they were all kind of fighting forwards as like one goal of like trying to portray like realism in Ireland rather than this idealism that had come before. And like, I think that's similar in the Irish music scene. I don't know what you think about that, but like, I have the feeling that like the Irish music scene at the moment is very like close-knit and very kind of like because things are so bleak they all help each other out and like you know you see kind of like Mary Walloper's doing their live stream and you know Lancome featuring on it or you know whoever it was and kind of giving up their own time to help each other like I guess it's like one of the positives that comes out of such a underfunded kind of underappreciated scene you know. Yeah
2: definitely and you kind of mentioned those live streams uh, which were super interesting yeah. um and uh, but even another example of the kind of communalism that definitely exists in the Irish music scene um, is that I think in recent months in particular because of the virus, but over the probably past couple of years, there's been this like glut of compilation albums where people, particularly in like the underground electronic scene but also um, in rock as well, um will essentially release collaborative. Albums and just last week, Petroon Records, which is like a really excellent, like forward-thinking electronic music record label, run by a guy called Ross Lynch out of Dublin, and it announced its latest collaborative project, which includes a number of the most exciting producers in the country, and all the proceeds of that go to the movement of the asylum seekers in Ireland. Um, and you've got small, tight-knit festivals like Fail in the Grain and Open Ear, where yeah. it's a very small bunch of people who are extremely nerdy and really into the music. And I think there's definitely even in terms of the actual music itself as well, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of collaboration, but one thing I always like to to tell people uh, w- when it comes to Irish music and how communal it is, is Dublin digital radio, um, mm-hmm. which uh, is like, this like amazing resource. And uh, I, it was last year I was like, Really pissed off when i read like in the irish times there's some irish music industry figure I, I i don't remember their name but they essentially were arguing that play irish which i'm not sure if you've heard about which is like an online radio station dedicated to playing all irish music and they were the, the creators of this station were saying that it's necessitated by the fact that the irish music independent music scene in particular is fragmented and disjointed i think they mm-hmm. said and I I just thought that was just so ignorant and myopic at the, at the time, and c- because Dublin Digital Radio exists, and it's really interesting because it's it's almost at the nexus of everything exciting happening in, in Irish music. The people who perform at these small festivals, the people who uh, for, uh, contribute tracks to the collaborative albums, the people who we see most visibly engaged in the, the political action uh, and kind of political. Uh, campaigning as well, and um, they all either produce, have had shows on the the station, or their music is played there regularly. And um, so, mm-hmm. I, I think that's like a really important, um like institution in Ireland now, and it's all completely independent. There's obviously no chance that uh, centre right parties are going to even consider giving them funding or anything. But like, I think it's probably better they don't. It just yeah. needs to kind of build up a kind of base of of people. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely. It's 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 kind of encouraging as, as like in in a kind of more general sense, social sense that you can see this communalism in Irish music, and you'd wonder how this can be extrapolated to to kind of wider society and to, to other art forms as well.
1: Absolutely, I love seeing kind of collectives coming out, independent collectives, and I think there's been a, a major burst through of them over the last couple of years, and it's a phenomenal thing to see. You just touched on something there which kind of piqued my interest. Like you would uh, write on the Irish music scene or just on the music scene in general and have written in like both the Irish Times, but then American things like The Fader um, and then The Guardian in the UK. How do you find the reporting in Ireland here? Because I've, I've seen a few artists uh, only recently kind of criticizing the fact that at most, or the mainstay of, like, Irish reporting on the music scene will be, like, a top 25 Irish artists at the moment, or top 50, and it'll just cut out, like, a vast amount of people um, who mainly need the support when they don't get a spotlight elsewhere. So how have you found the reporting to be here in comparison with elsewhere, and what are the real, like, gaping holes uh, in the area?
2: Yeah, so uh, it, it, it ties into, it's almost like the underbelly of the interconnectedness of the scene in, in that, there is definitely a dirt of long-form coverage of Irish acts, um, which they, 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 some might argue they don't need, but I think it's definitely important. And the, aside from, like, dedicated voluntary blogs, like The Tin Air, Golden Plec, um, uh, and Niler 9, and, and there's also, like, new media, such as, like, Madfield and Sold Out. Um, Irish newspapers, like broadsheet newspapers in particular, and magazines and radio, who... They still collectively wield the most power in Irish music, no matter what they say. And it's, it's kind of, it maxes out, at like, capsule reviews or a basic introductory interview. Um, and it rarely ever pushes past, like, a surface-level analysis, um, I find. Um, I, I don't think it's completely necessary, but it is important just to for people to kind of promote. And even if they don't have a PR agency back in um, it's important that there is good coverage, and I don't. Well, wouldn't take anything away from the blogs. They actually do most of the kind of legwork when it comes to covering Irish music. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it also comes down to, uh, to the the kind of slow, agonising death of newspapers and print yeah. publications. So there isn't really any resources in those places to kind of put towards music, because broadly speaking, people don't really want to read music criticism it's only really critics and musicians themselves who read music criticism so I'm not really sure there's definitely space for really interesting personable stories uh, and kind of um, long-form pieces talking about trends in Irish music but there isn't really much space as you say to to kind of pitch that. It's
0: very interesting one question I have and maybe it's a bit nostalgic now seeing as we're all missing gigs and kind of like missing the music scene and stuff like that during covid um do you have any highlights of kind of your time writing about irish music and stuff like you know going to gigs and reporting on them is there anything that stands out to you so far i just i i just want to live vicariously through you because i want to go to gigs pretty much. <laughs>
2: probably not live live reporting at gigs is something i probably did earlier on um mm-hmm. and it's quite it kind of detracts from the actual experience itself so i, I, I i'm not really mm-hmm. I'm not really too nostalgic about doing live reviews, but one thing um, which really kind of piqued my interest was speaking to Irish acts for, for articles for international publications. And like, I'm always happy to, to kind of put the spotlight on and I definitely have pivoted in my own writing from writing about British and American artists who I kind of grew up listening to and probably listened to more into uh, and trying to get people into certain publications and kind of spotlight the actual talent that does exist in Ireland and it not being written from the outside by uh, someone who doesn't really understand Irish culture or um, the kind of just Irish psyche or character. Um, And the the piece I wrote about um, both the uh, PX music, which are a rap collective Mm -hmm. out of Limerick, who who are amazing, and uh, the I also did one for the Guardian on the uh, co- kind of a broadly loosely connected uh, group of producers, electronic producers, and core and that's definitely they've probably been my highlights for, from an Irish journalism perspective because speaking to them about their experiences, both economic and artistic um is definitely really inspiring as well, as well as being something that's just uh, a kind of part parcel of the work, but it's also um, people my age kind of making this music that I actually am like extremely into uh, and you mentioned kind of like the, the kind of working class uh, perspective as well one thing I found really interesting about PX Music in particular um, mm. is they're kind of reimagining American various American rap styles through like a working class Irish lens mm. they have narratives from the States and Ireland and there's like fist fighting, drug binges, joblessness and it's this idea that Irish people can make music, which follows a stylistic lineage, an international lineage usually, but it's kind of imbued with their own local experience, worldview, yeah. language. And uh, yeah, that's definitely the most exciting thing to me is covering up and coming Irish artists uh, rather than live, live, uh, live events.
1: I actually read that piece. I thought it was really, really great. And I hadn't heard of most of the collective before that, but I was, I think I was just kind of just astonished with the way that they had, um, like you said, taken on foreign trends and made it their own. And we'll link that in the, in the description for sure. And we're similarly hoping to be able to like interview and discuss music with more artists in the future. It's just about kind of bridging that gap between the political and the cultural uh, at the moment. But I think just from this conversation, you can see how clear it is and uh, like how clear both of uh, they like they impact each other, but then I think just just um, finally is like, is there any artists that you think should, people should check out at the moment in, in a similar way that you had pointed out uh, PX music? But is there any like hidden gems that you'd like to shine a spotlight on at the moment, or that we could stick in the episode description? Well, well
2: I, will, I will. in a moment with something you just said uh, kind of mm. um, is interesting about the kind of clash of kind of politics and culture yes. and how they're so intertwined, but. But there's always one thing that I think is not worrying or concerning, but there's definitely uh, economic powerlessness has kind of led to people Mm -hmm. overlying on arts and art and probably consumption more generally as as a means of collective action. I think people sometimes confuse the act of consuming with political action. And that could be like ecologically conscious fashion or sustainable washing up liquid, or it could be a pop song. Mm -hmm. And I think artists bear a lot of pressure to be the, the vanguard of some mass movement that I think they should be a reaction to or reflecting back and being critical right. of. But, and some music fans, especially with the emergence of Twitter in particular, but just social media more generally, kind of project their political and moral desires onto its artists, um, yeah. which, which I think is completely unfair and will always end in tears. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's something that Mark Fisher... Um, used to, to kind of always write about, and that was that for music to be radical politically, it has to be experimental uh and formally, and and it has to have the capacity to kind of open up like a space of like possibility in, in people who are listening. Um, and if that if you hear something completely new and alien, that kind of instills a confidence and belief that change could be possible in other avenues of life, if if you get me. Um, so that's something I definitely firmly believe. And when it comes to other recommendations, um, probably f- following on from that, I would definitely recommend listening to any of the producers that I mentioned in that piece. Mm-hmm. In particular, Light, uh, his name is Eamon, uh, and uh, he's a really sound guy, but he had an album that came out last year. It's definitely my favourite Irish album. I-, I won't read out the t- the whole title, but the f- start of it is uh, Gore-Tex and the Club. Um, so it's a really prolix <laughs> title, um, but um, it's, it's super interesting, uh, like weird, deformed club music. Uh, and this year probably hasn't surpassed last year. In my mind, last year was like an exceptional year. And but I would also, for anyone who hasn't heard of Junior Brother um, mm-hmm. or Marie yeah. Summerfill, um, I definitely recommend checking out their albums from last year. Uh, and anything as well uh, on the Patroon record label that I also mentioned earlier. And probably my favourite Irish album this year um, was Bridget May Power's album. Um, mm. She so was like a folk singer, Irish folk singer. So uh, that's great if, 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 anyway, if that's up anyone's trees as well.
1: That's phenomenal, Colin, yeah. We'll,
0: I'm definitely uh, going to search these on Spotify now.
1: <laughs> yeah, your recommendations are probably the highest uh, rate yeah. of anyone I'd have in my circle at the moment. So yeah, they're all going on the, on the playlist now. But that's, uh, that's perfect. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it was mm-hmm. nice to kind of depart from the grim and gloomy politics but i think that should do us for for this week and i'd uh like to say a major thanks to colin for joining us yeah thanks guys and we'll have to get you back in the future because no doubt things will change over the next couple of months and and hopefully we do get a taste of the heights that were reached last year um even with the pandemic so i think i think we mentioned on the last episode as well that this will probably be the last episode that we have under left inside the name as we're planning on relaunching the podcast next week to tie it a bit more closely to our magazine Rupture. So do keep an eye out for that, as I'm sure we'll have a few things in store online. But other than that, uh, thanks a million for everyone for listening. And once again, to Colin and Jesse for joining me. Cheers for tuning in. See us all later. Goodbye. (laughs)